Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome back to another episode of Latitude's In Session Podcast. Joining me today in the studio, I have a guy from Southern Ohio that I've looked up to for a long time. He puts out a ton of good content. He kills a lot of big deer consistently. And he's one of those guys that I have a list of people that I just know are going to put work in every year and they're going to end up right where they should be killing a deer each season. And that guy is none other than Byron Horton. Byron, thanks for coming on, man. Man, it is cool to be in studio. Cool to make this happen. You and I, uh, probably started becoming friends, I think year two of your Ohio pursuits. And yeah, happy to be here, man. It's Friday. It is Friday. It's a good day. It's your son's birthday today, right? Son's birthday. So we uh, tonight we will throw two uh, pork shoulders on about midnight and then having the whole family down tomorrow. And uh, yeah, he's jacked cloud nine. I mean, I'm probably at the peak of like little kid toddlerism. Um, but yeah, it'll be a great day. No doubt about it, man. We just celebrated Charlie's birthday a couple of weeks ago and it was, this, we had the two racks and I see that you have the three racks. Yes. So. Dinosaurs are a big deal for those little boys. <laughs> they definitely are. That's awesome, man. Well, uh, well, hey, today on this episode, I think that what we're going to dive into is something that you and I dealt with last year quite a bit, and it was a big challenge for both of us. And the first part of this is just going to be how we're going to roll with the punches through the EHD outbreak last year. So I know for me specifically, it played a huge role in my season. You know, I ended up not finding a deer to go after. I struggled a lot finding a mature deer at all. And it took me right until the end of season of really hunting my butt off and scouting my butt off to even find a deer to go after. And I know that you had some struggles as well. So I think that that's going to be the main topic of discussion today just rolling with the punches how's that sound to you that's great i love it awesome let's uh let's dive right into it man so the number one thing that i think that people are going to want to take away from this and figure out because there's a lot of guys that are dealing with the situation is going to be how our strategies are going to change this year with the AHD outbreak last year. And so let's dive right into that. Looking at your season, you know, we're right now 90 days out. Things are going to start ramping up. We're going to start shooting our bows. We're going to try to get cameras out. We're going to do some glassing and all those things. What is your number one priority for getting on a deer to chase after this fall, after the EHD outbreak? Yeah, 
I I think the biggest change for myself is is also uh, is a little bit more of a mental side of things. I felt like last year, as soon as either a buck didn't show up on cam, sign was lacking, I was I was gone. I I and then postseason scouting, postseason card pulls, a few did survive. But given the information last year, it's like, dude, as soon as something doesn't turn up by October 15th-ish, because we still had a very warm early October, bucks were still dying that first week of October. Very, it's That's pretty common knowledge. Um, so, so that's something like this year, like looking at my my classic playbook kind of technique, I can I can let the season come to me a little more. So there's a little shift in that mindset. Um, I will completely not hunt uh, area number two because of what I just saw last season. So that's like a, a huge efficiency gain. Like I'm not even going to drive there. I'm not even going to walk there. Uh, that That's a huge win and, and kind of change for, for this coming fall. As far as like current summer prep, like you talked about shooting bows, cams. I texted you this morning, like, hey, I just, you know, I, I I'm maybe gonna dabble in the stick bow world. We'll see how that that, that that's got to prove itself out. Um, I'm looking deadly at about ten to thirteen yards right now, but uh, yeah, that. So I just prepped. I think I've got fifteen ish cams like set ready to go as soon as I get the green light from the wife with I am which I am hoping to use my birthday as an excuse to get in the woods and get some cams out and uh yeah that'll be a blitz shooting the bow I'll dial in a few other things um as far as some some prep is is concerned but like yeah the EHD thing I it's one of those things I've eliminated my one of my my honey holes or kind of just best areas from the past 10 years and uh I'm looking forward to season because Yes, there's probably less overall good bucks, but I, I, I pray we don't have another outbreak and I can kind of just go about normal business. Yeah, it was very abnormal last year where I had a bunch of people reaching out to me and they're like, hey, man, like all you should be doing is going out and finding sign and you'll find the deer. And I would do that. Right. And it was a it was hard to find good sign. But when you would find that good sign, it didn't necessarily mean that there was a big mature buck in the area because those were the ones that the highest percentage of actually got killed from EHD. So so I would find sign and put a camera on it and it'd be like a two year old buck, you know, just a young buck. I'm like, well, what am I going to do with that? But uh, but so diving into your trail camera strategy a little bit, mine's definitely going to change this this year a lot. Like last year, I was very hyper-focused on specific areas. And now in my head, I'm like, I don't ever want that to happen again where I don't have a deer to chase. So I'm casting this ultra wide net and I'm going to run like one camera in each system. Right. So as far as taking those 15 cameras, what's your thought process as far as running them? Are you running them? Are you going to try to cast a wider net than last year? Are you going to try to get more laser focused in areas that you know that deer survived? So one of my biggest learning lessons was I ran three cameras inside like a basketball court last year, late in the year. And it was so funny that I would get a buck on camera B that would never be on camera A. And these things are literally 30 yards apart. Um, So this year, like when I go to the woods and we'll kind of talk about this a little bit, probably in the second tier of this podcast, but like if I'm time away from the family, I'm not afraid to put now cameras 20 yards apart, 10 yards apart, um, just to really gain some information there. Um, I, as, as far as casting a wider net, I think my net overall cameras, like I'm probably going to put out the same amount of cameras I've always done. But again, I've, I'm going to be a little more focused in, in, I've eliminated a whole area that I've hunted for 10 years. So that means, uh, let's just call it area A and C get a little more attention. And I did spend a little more boots to ground kind of focusing on early October, um, because I think that's a weak point of mine. So it's like, I have some off season notes where I'm like, I'm going to put a camera here because I do think it's, it's setting up well for early October. So, so normally I devote most of my cameras to just scrapes inventory. I do run some on the like some, some cruising type shelves, pinches have really good luck doing that. 
But uh, I'm going to be doing, devoting a couple more cams to maybe some early October ambush um, areas, if you will. And traditionally, I have not. I got you. And so a lot of the cameras that you're running, are they just in like historically good spots? Like you said, your, uh, your A and C. So I know that like I can look at you mid-October through like mid-November and you just get it done and you get on deer. And are you just planning on, you know, regardless of what happened last year, some of those spots, you're just going to run cameras in again. So, yeah, I will. I have prioritized areas where I'm like, I don't think he hit as hard, but that did. I couldn't figure that out October 20th of last year, November 20th of last year. I, I figured that out in the off season. Once I got all my cams in, once I scouted a little more and was finding the, the, the buck sign that I was looking for. Um, yeah, I didn't think I had the, yeah, so, so it, it's, it's so crazy how this this all plays out that, you know, I don't have the best plan of attack November 20th for, for my, my fall of 23. But right now I'm looking at it like this is a no brainer. Like I, I feel very confident in, in like, OK, this area didn't get hit as hard. Like I'm going to spend max time there. So it, it, it's one of those things too, like the early season, like I, that is a goal of mine. And so like, I'm putting a little more eggs in that basket. Cause that's what I, that's what I want to get better at is, is I'd love to have a buck down October 15th or earlier. It's only a matter of time. You're, I've been saying it for years now. Like when we have conversations, you know, we talk about it. I'm like, you're that close. Like you're like the, I think the first one that you get and the first time you do that, it's just going to be a snowball effect after that. You're just going to be killing bucks early season almost every year. So, so little curveball question here, that area number two, like area B, mm-hmm. you were saying that you're just vacating this year. Mm-hmm. When are you going to dive back into that area again? How are you going to monitor that through the years to see if that population bump back up? Because I know you're real, a really confident in there, and b it's a spot that holds some pretty good deer. Yeah, uh, that that is a debate. Um, and I still have cameras to pick up there. So so so, you know, I had I, what I think I'll do is maybe pop back in there for a a turkey hunt maybe next spring because uh, then I can scout a little bit. I can pick up my cams. Um, I may not return for five years. Um, I may not, not ever return. You know, I, I, I very much have this ebb and flow state where, where I don't have to have a hard hammered plan. Um, now true, I'm not chasing like one specific buck most of the time. I'm just chasing a good one. And so like you and I have talked, um, about that, but that's something I've, I have picked up from Cody DeQuesto where it's like, I will let the season cards show me the hand I need to play. I really like that. And I think that I get sometimes overly wrapped up in trying to chase that specific deer or like relying on the fact that that deer will be there. And then something like last year happens and I'm left just spinning the wheels and I just like total scramble mode. So I completely understand that. Um, and you know, like the other side of all this too is balancing the family life. Right. And you and I are both going through this right now. You've got two under three, well, one's three today actually. (laughs) And then I've got one that's just over two. So so let's dive into that a little bit, man. Let's dive into how your strategy has changed over the last, you know, I get this question a lot, but how your strategy has changed over the last, let's say three to six years now that you're a dad and a husband and everything else going on, you know, work and, and everything else in the world. How has your strategy changed and how have you just, how have you became more efficient with your time? Yeah, there's definitely like the name of the game is efficiency. And I think I am getting out. Andy May talks about this, a guy we both look up to a lot, that there was a seven to 10 year period of his life where he was scouting the most. He was most dialed with his archery. He could prioritize uh, deer hunting and becoming a better deer hunter at the highest of levels. And uh, I am exiting that stage uh, where 
it is important for me to maybe be home on Saturday mornings to to spend a little more time because during the week I don't I don't get to see the kids as much. Um, but that's okay. And, and there there will be another small blip before like activity season picks up, where like my kids will be in sports. But there's a there's another gap that's coming where I can get in the woods a lot. And I still, man, I I look uh, I look for a lot of ways. PTO is a is a way bigger part of like. I don't know, the importance if you have a day job, then your uh, net income. You can always pick up side hustles to go get extra cash if you want to make more money. I mean, I, I believe that. Uh, literally three of my best friends all mow like five to 10 yards to pick up an extra 500 to grand a month. And then that allows, you know, it, it is what it is. And I do some side hustling, but like when I took my day job position now, it's all about PTO. And so I, I do find myself a lot of times taking half days of PTO to go scout um, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things that time is, is, is so important. So the other thing too, is I, at least I've spent the last eight years walking 70 ish miles for the off season and 30 miles for Turkey. And then a handful of miles in the summers, um, where, where I have a good catalog. Um, I'm probably a better hunter than I was five years ago. So less time, maybe I am a touch more efficient. And, uh, I think too, like I, I, I gotta be, a. Oh, as much as you want to chase a big one, if a good one comes through, I think I'm at the point in my life where I might like shoot him and I'm going to be home with the kids a little bit more. Yeah. yeah. And I've talked about that, the managing of expectations. Right. And that's like, that's becoming more and more of a big deal to me. The more time that I spend away from home and I'm like, I really love being a dad and I like being around and I want to be as present as possible. And I'm willing to sacrifice a big deer for a good deer, you know, to spend more time as a dad. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. I think that that's part of the the process that we go through. And like you mentioned, I'm in the same boat where I had four really good years in Ohio where I was just putting the boot leather down, you know, really hammering out miles. And so now I've heard Andy May talk about it. And it's like you just said, now I get to take a step back a little bit and I have that catalog build up of these good areas. I'm doing the exact same thing you're doing where it's like, okay, I don't need to go spend 200 days in the woods scouting anymore. I can go out and spend, let's say, sub 50 days or even 20 days scouting just to validate the sign in that area or not. And that's kind of where this thing rolls back into the EHD outbreak is a lot like you, like I have a lot of areas that I'm just not going to go to again for a couple years. But what I'm going to do is probably go in there and shed hunt a little bit and just like validate the amount of sign. And then when I feel like that sign picked up to about where it was before when I really liked being in there, I might start diving back into that area again and running cameras and everything. So, so I look at like the efficiency thing and rolling with the punches and this all comes together where I think that we need to just take what what's given to us right and we need to say okay you know these areas are just going to be hurting a little bit for a while i'm gonna i'm gonna hyper focus on something else and i'm gonna manage my expectations based on that and just see how the season plays out and i don't think there's anything wrong with that at the end of the day the whole goal here is to go out and enjoy yourself like killing a deer is great that's a good part of it but going out with your friends and with your family and eventually with our sons and like that's what's that's what's really important right it's not necessarily the biggest deer getting put on the wall so I'll, I'll say this too about like efficiency and like being a dad now and like so your time away is less but man like when you go you got to go hard you got to be ready um stuff like prepping trail cams like we talked about earlier like i don't have to if i got a green light here next friday i don't have to prep any cams because prepping eight cams can take you an hour or so um i was doing that earlier in the week i noticed too like if you've got a, a green light if you will is what i like to call it. you dude wake up earlier be set the night before and if you only got a four hour window, still go. You got to give impossible a chance. I killed an out of state buck one time, literally woke up at midnight, drove three and a half hours to the place and then literally hunted all day. So I think I put on like seven miles and shot the deer at like closing time. 
and then packed out, had to be home the next day because the wife's a nurse and she has to work. Like she can't call off. She's a nurse. So I got, I I, ta- I called her as soon as I shot the buck and I was like, look, I'll be home. It might be three or four in the morning, but I'll be home by the time he he gets up. And uh, yeah, you, you, you gotta be willing to, to when you go, you're all in. Um, I can think too, if you uh, check in trail cams in the dark's another efficiency of mine, where pre-hunt in the morning even, like going with a headlamp and you got to weigh the plus minus uh, if you think that's uh, advantageous or maybe it could be detrimental. But a lot of times I'm like, yeah, I'll pop into this section, pull a couple cams. I can then maybe make a decision to hunt that area or not. But my my, my initial plot is I'm going to go drive another 15 minutes down the road and hunt. Um, and then I've got almost two scouts in per one hunt because I got my little trail cam pull in the dark. When and maybe I run across some sign, you know, that that could be a track, a, a better rub. I'm like, oh, something's going on here. But then hunt hunt area, you know, down the road for the morning hunt, scout a little bit on the way out. Now I've I've got two mini scouts in in a one morning hunt. And I'm home by 11, 12 o'clock. That's a huge thing. Yeah. That really is. Like I, you know, I even do my daily workouts based around the family schedule too. Where like I'll sacrifice sleep four or five in the morning to knock it out. That way I can have breakfast with them when they wake up. You know what I mean? So there's, I think preparation is a huge part of it. And, you know, I'm actually behind with the trail camera thing. I don't have them set up yet. I don't have the batteries in them yet. I actually bought batteries last night, but I think that having everything ready to go is something that's probably really overlooked because you don't have to waste that extra hour here and there. Yeah. I always think kind of like having your shit organized, spending 15, 20 minutes in the garage, whether it be hunting season or not helps the, like my bow range at at the, the local house, the targets are out and here's a, here's a pro tip. Let those targets sit in the grass for two weeks or whatever and burn in your 20s and 30s to your grass. Your grass is burnt, but literally, like, let's say you got five minutes to shoot. You know, if I put a target at that burn spot at 30, it's a 30-yard pin or a 30-yard shot. So, literally, you don't have to spend time throwing a target out, grabbing a rangefinder, messing about. Um, but my home range has like an arrow holder, has some bow clips ready to go. Um, I buy targets that are known to sit out in the rain better because I want them already out there. Um you know, I shoot my bow now before work because that's a good time slot for me to to get in 12 arrows. And then you look at the cumulative effect. That literally took me two minutes. My wife doesn't even know sometimes. I'm like, I'm taking the trash out, you know, eight arrows later. But I'd shoot those eight arrows every day for, for a month. Now I've shot, you know, a couple hundred arrows. And it literally took no time really away from the family. Um, but, yeah, dude, yeah, it is. I, I got to be more efficient these days. I totally understand it. And it's something that I'm trying to figure out. And I get a ton of questions about it. I'm sure you do as well. Like people want to know, how can I be a, a good deer hunter and kill deer consistently every year and not have to spend a ton of time doing it? Not everybody has the time to just go out there and just hammer away miles. So I've, I've heard Dan Infall talk about feeling bad for guys that are 30 years old and figure out they love deer hunting and they are married. They have two kids. It's like, man, hate to say it, but you missed a really good window to get good at deer hunting. Um, Dave Ebright talks about uh, um, one of our buddies is bringing around his younger uh, cousin who's like 18 years old. And we're like telling him like, dude, this is your your learning years. If you want to kill big bucks, this is a really good time just because you have the time. You may not understand it now at 18, but you know, you work your butt off and you spend a lot of time doing this, honing your craft, listening to the right people, finding the right resources. By 21, 22, you got a couple years there. You can really do well um, because and you got the time. 100%. So speaking to the younger guys here or just the guys that have that time, you know, they're not married yet. They don't have kids yet. What's your best piece of advice is just do it now, right? Put it, put the miles in now, put the work in now, learn as much as you can, build up the catalogs like we talk about. That way, when your time goes away, you're, you're still where you need to be, right? Yeah. And I would say too, like, um, 
the right resources. You know, no offense to a guy hunting urban ground or whatever in city limits. Like that's, if I watch an hour show of his, I might learn something. There, there, there's always details to be learned. I, I, I do believe that. Always keep open ears. But if you said I could spend an hour talking and listening to, you know, he's Cisco. Or like maybe if you, you got access to a couple private farms, look at guys that are killing good bucks on like a 40 and doing it year in and year out. And, and they're relatable to your certain circumstance. If you're a, you know, Western hunter, go look up what Troy Pottinger's got going on. Spend an hour consuming that content versus a seek one type content. I, I completely understand that. Yeah. It, it makes sense. Yeah, it needs to be relative to where you're at. And if you are the urban guy, well, then seek ones who you need to be listening to, right? So there's always a yeah. there's a give and take there with all of those for sure. Well, let's circle way back around to your process this year. We, we started to talk about cameras, and I'd like to dive into that specific topic a little bit more. I'd like to dive into, you're going to put these cameras out, right? From an efficiency standpoint, like there's a bunch of different ways to run cameras and check them, right? I know guys that check their cameras like every three to five days. For me, that's not me just from the efficiency side of things, but it was always a different, it was always a different approach to the efficiency thing where for me, I was like, hey, I'm trying to run so many cameras in so many areas that I just cannot possibly go check them all every week. And now that's changing a little bit where it's more of the family time thing, right? So for you, I know that you have very limited time to get those cameras out. It's not like the number one priority, right? So you're going to get your cameras out. What's your process as far as checking them and then taking that intel to make the right move come season? Yeah. So I have prioritized like, I'll call it like parking spot slash big loop. You talk about doing big loops and dropping off, let's call it six, 10, 12, 15 camps, whatever you're going to do. So I have my loop number one labeled on the map already. And and that's based on some off-season scouting, some last year's trail cam pulls. And, and I'm a firm believer in do that biggest priority first. You laugh, some guys, they get a little scatterbrained um, and, and forget to do the, the a very big priority. Um, so yeah, that's, that's priority one. And I will put those cams out um, in a variety of places. And that could be a nice scrape. This could be a cruising bench. This could be just the best trail I have marked uh, going into a bedding area. And I do mark pins that are like what I call like easy trail cam locations. And generally those are just closer to the road or easy to access. Um, I'm not afraid to put like we talked about cams close together because then I can get two pulls or two cards pulled and one may fail. There's a backup there that, that's close by. In the summer, I run a couple shot bursts, but I also put a little longer delay because I really don't care about June, July picks all that much. I really want that camera running all the way up until maybe October 15th, 20th, 30th. You know, I may not figure out where I want to be hunting the rut. Uh, that's kind of what I target my season. Around. Where can I spend my rut with max targets a lot of times? And uh, I need that camera to be running. So I put like three or five minute delays. And some people think I'm crazy, like I might miss stuff. But windy days, elevated sets, you get a lot of false triggers. I just don't want those batteries and SD cards filling up. I want them working in October. You know, I want hard horn information. Don't get me wrong. The velvet stuff's nice. Um, so that's kind of what I'm looking at. And I, um, I will prioritize getting, you know, one out in June. Next one out in July. Come late August, I want to want to be in play, if you will, to go in and do some of my um oh my card pulls. And I don't like to touch my stuff mid July. Uh, um, I'm a firm believer, and it's like, dude, like August twentieth hits, and whatever reason, the bucks have shaken out. Um, I know the Drury's have some logistics around it, but even deer I feel are are there. It's like all of a sudden uh, August twenty fifth, there he is. 
you know, the other thing I need to be doing a little more of is probably shooting elevated with the stick bow. I think that's a big priority of mine going into season. I don't glass as much as I used to. I used to get really fired up in glass and just I'm doing the plus minus for me to go do it and and what I've learned and it's just not there. Um, my, my cheater way of glassing, I feel I do tend to get to my places early in the fall before the sun comes up. I catch a decent amount of buck movement in the headlights and I, and I, I am not steering my vehicle towards those bucks cause that is illegal in Iowa, but I catch a lot of just general deer movement and I've caught a few good bucks doing that in the daylight. And I'm like, well, maybe I need to go in there and hunt and figure something out. And a lot of that's drive time, right? Like you're driving, you just have to drive an hour plus to your spot. So like glassing from an hour plus doesn't make sense. But if you hunted 10 minutes from your house, oh, yeah. now all of a sudden you have an ice cream date with the family, right? And you can do, and you can do the loop that you need to do. So I think that that plays into that a lot for sure. Um, so as far as checking your cameras, you said you start checking them like August 20th ish, right? And so you're, you're right at that shift. And that's kind of like what I've seen in the Ohio Hills. Like you have the, the summer shift that happens, you know, the white oaks might start dropping if you get like a heavy rain or a windstorm or anything like that. Those deer start cycling back up into those, those areas. Mm-hmm. So would that, is that the date you look at? Because like the one thing that I've tried to explain before, and at least it's the way that my head works is if you pull those cameras too early before that shift, you might be, you might actually think an area is bad because the deer haven't moved back into there yet. To me, that makes a lot of sense of what you're doing there. And then you're checking those cameras. So, so let's say this, let's say August 20th rolls around. You have spot A that you're really excited about. You've got the deer on camera there, right? What's going through your head over the next month and a half until season opener? Yeah. So, so loaded question, like area A, I might not check in August. I'll be honest. I think area A, if that's my biggest priority, I would like to get some hard horn information and I want some rubs on the ground. I remember last year I was in the game early because I went to pool cams and I called you. I was like, man, I kind of want to know if he's in there. I kind of want to know what's going on. And I found a, a pretty good rub line and, uh, I was in the game early a little bit last year based on some some, some information that has come about and, and some trail cam pulls after season. And uh, so, so yeah, Area A, late August, I might not go there because I want some hard-horned information and I want some some fresh rubs. Like, dude, I, if you can walk by there and see the shavings on top and you're like, dude, they, this can't be that old if it's like September 5th, September 10th. I will say there there's a plus-minus game to be had there. Um, as far as like what am I saying or what am I feeling or, or where do I go from here if I pick up my... My, my targets or, or just feel good about a couple kill spots, man. Um, I'll be glassing a little bit of Oaks. I do have some like early season ambushes that I've tried to mark here in the last three years. I've, I've been working on this early season plan for, for, for a solid three years when, when you and I did one Instagram live and I was able to ask some like, dude, I find a lot of buck beds, but I think they're like sixes out of tens. I was like, but what do I do with that? What, how should I prioritize this? And, um, so what I would do then is, is maybe be scouting from a distance in, in some of those areas where all I need to do is walk into the woods, maybe 50, a hundred yards and listen on a, on a quiet day for, for some sort of acorn drop that might be a hundred yards away where I don't want to put boot traffic in knowing I might go in there and hunt in, in a week or two. Um, cause the goal would be right to, to have some, I have ambush points marked on my maps that are good for early season. And all I need is them to like put me in that right zone, if you will. And then it's going to be an in season or an in, in hunt type decision where I'm going to go in there, stand on the back, scouting my way in with hopefully a little bit of information. Um, and, and, and it's just reading the sign and keep scouting. And, and I plan to go Comanche mode this October where, uh, two sticks, stick bow and, uh, 
scouting is the top priority. There's a lot to be said about that. I mean, I think that that's extremely deadly where like if I look at early season, I don't need a lot of sticks, man. Like most of my setups are low because of the cover, right? Like you still have the beach, you still have most of the trees are going to have their leaves on. Like the two stick game is a serious thing that time of year. Yeah. And, and part of that is I just, I want to be in the mode to scout more than hunt. Um, and I, I've had some success hunting low. I also think if I am going to take the stick bow, like shot angles, I don't want to be 20 foot up in the tree with a stick. I've heard a lot of guys, the first couple deer they shoot at with the stick, they shoot over the top. And a lot of that is once you get elevated, it gets a lot tougher. It's just, you know, a tougher shooting system elevated. So two sticks would keep me low um, and would keep me focused on uh, not being emotionally attached to getting in a tree stand, right? Um, You you hear guys uh, talk about that a lot, getting emotionally attached to either a prior ambush point or they bring four sticks and they feel they got to use them all when the best ambush might even be on the ground that day. Um, I do like to get just slightly elevated. I hate hunting on the ground. I I'll say that. Um, so that's kind of what I'm thinking for October. Now, if I turn up something that would be by far the biggest deer on my wall, I will pull out the compound. That is a much more efficient use of, uh, weaponry. Um, but you know, I, 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 part of the stick bow thing I should talk, touch on this was I was talking to one of my hunting mentors and he's in his fifties and he said, I never did it. He said, I'd kill a 160 and uh, then I'll pick up the stick. And he just never did. And this dude's killed like 3 DIY elk, a 330 bull, a 200 inch whitetail that he like missed a couple times. Like dude has done it all in the, in the woods, but he's like, I, I, I do wish I'd have picked up his stick at some point. And so my thought is if I stick bow hunt all of October for five years, I've got five months stick bow hunting experience. And that is like, gotta make me a better hunter, right? Your, your kill radius is so much reduced. Your attention to detail is so much, you know, needs to be on point. And then I do have like the parachute of the compound come the rut where I have a much more efficient weapon. Um, didn't mean to go off on a tangent I there, but, but I thought that was worth the, uh, expanding on, on our talk as far as I'm going Comanche mode in October. No, it definitely isn't. Just like, <laughs> it gets me fired up thinking about the kill radius, right? Like your kill radius goes from, you want to talk about efficiency, right? Like mm-hmm. you need to be extremely efficient with your access, with your scouting, with how dialed in you are on that exact spot, because like your kill zone is going to be 15 minus, right? Like that's, I know I would probably be 10 minus if I picked it up again, which I plan on doing eventually, but it wouldn't be great at so, all. So I asked Lo- Logan Glasper and Logan the Bowman, and I said, "What realistically, if I shoot this bow, you know, a good amount this summer, he said 15 yards. He said, so that does mean you got to be on the trail, not maybe hedging your bets on two trails. Um, that is something I have learned from a lot of the, the big deer killers that, that I've had good conversations with. It's like, you can't sometimes try and hog it all. Is, you know, a couple times you could squeak out two scenarios from, from ambush point or the, the tree stand, but a lot of times you've got to have a real strong inclination that this is the, let's just call it, this is the trail or the, the, the most likely path. And, and you can't be, be too far off that. Otherwise they, they skirt you, they pick you up. It's, it's one of those things that, yeah, with a stick, you have to pick the right trail. Yeah. I would say that I started really adopting that about five years ago where I would just I was wrong a lot too, by the way. I would just like pick the trail and I'm, okay, he's bedded up here. Like he could be better on two points, but I'm picking the point that I think he's on and I'm picking like either the oak tree or the scrape that I think he's going to hit and then the trail leading to it. And I've been wrong, but I'll tell you what, man, when you're right, you're just right on top of these deer. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like my shots over the last three years, I don't, I haven't had a shot more than 15 or 18 yards in three years. Mm -hmm. That's just been great. Like they're like with a compound, that's a shoe in, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Like, um, I I'm very much the same way. Like generally I'm a timber hunter. I have never killed a deer out past 23 yards and you know, if you pick the right trail, right? 
dude, it's, it's, it's so laser focused, if you will. I've had a few of those scenarios go the right way. And uh, when they come down the, the pike, it's, it's time. It is. And, and then from a self-filming aspect, because Ew. you self-film, like the camera's preset. Mm. You know what I mean? You're just mm. like, all right, manual focus. He's going to come out of focus, into focus, right in the middle of the frame. And I'm going to try to shoot that deer right there. Like there's nothing better. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, I'm glad we touched on that. Like that, that is something that I've evolved from. I used to feel like I'd pick the tree or the ambush point and I try and hedge like three options and, and you're just not as dialed. And now I think like, you know, your skill set's getting better. You're able to pick the, the, the better tree. Yeah. And at first you are going to have more, well, I'm not going to say you're going to have more failures, but you're going to have more experiences where you're a little bit off you know, and it's, you're just going to have to adapt. Like if you look at how many, how many times am I having an encounter with a buck? Like at first that could go down if you're, if you're being like very, very specific because you're not quite as dialed as you should be yet. Where like, if you had all three trails, you have that encounter, but it's harder to kill that deer. But man, you start getting into that one. It's like, okay, my encounters are going to go down at first, but I'm going to be able to kill on like my percentage of encounters is going to be a better kill rate. Does that make sense? It's kind of like uh seeing deer or seeing one buck. You know, like I used to want to see deer. Everybody, every hunter goes through that. Want to see deer. And then you kind of got to be okay with like, I might see one deer, but it's going to be the right deer. Maybe not during the rut. Rut's a little bit crazier game, but I'll call it even late October. You know, you're hunting for one deer um, in particular to, to that, that generally is carrying a better rack or whatever. And it's like, I may see him or I'm going to sit here and watch a bunch of squirrels and maybe not, Yeah, you know, that's going to be my night. So another little fun question for you, and it does revolve around trail cameras again. I keep going back to that because like to me last year, it was, that's my struggle, man. Last year was just ridiculous. And now I have all these things running through my head. I'm like, don't let it happen again. Don't let mm-hmm. it happen again. So I love getting everybody's thought process on it. And then I'm like, okay, I'm going to take all this and I'm going to, you know, throw it in the pot and formulate my own, my own stew, if you will. So so say that you get into pulling those cameras, right? And you're talking that late August into the mid-September-ish, which I'm a really big, I love pulling my cameras mid to late September just for that sign aspect like you talked about. The biggest deer on my wall, I had one camera in my backpack left. I had five total in the state of Ohio that year. And I'm walking down through all these ridges trying to find a spot to put that one camera. And I found a big giant fresh rub early September that was just shredded. And that camera went there because I found that rub. Where if I would have been in there two weeks earlier, that deer's probably still running around. So like for me, I really, I really get that. And I like that a lot. And having that real-time data is really important. Say that you get into mid to late September, you check all your cameras. You do not have a deer that you want to chase. What's going through your head? Better start squirrel hunting. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, you know, if that happens... God, that'd be tough to fathom. Um, that was me last year. Yeah. That was- you, you do have a, for the listeners, Jake has a significantly higher uh, threshold to kill. I, I'm kind of just looking for the, the 130 plus. And, man, if that all happened, I I might debate um, a couple out of states. I've, I've, I have spent some time out of state in the last five, six years. I've killed, killed one buck out of state. I hit another that I lost. Um, that might be something. Like if we had EHD breakout, uh, again, this year, we're knocking on wood, but that would be a serious thing where maybe I go to the wife and I'm like, look, I would be far better off to spend eight days away in the, in the rut. And if I was going to kill a good buck, that's probably a little better play. Honestly, if we had EHD breakout in the areas and I would still try and scatter the state a little bit, I would try and find a pocket that that's not holding, but, um, I would not be afraid to pick up and move. It would be very similar to last year. You, you, you have to keep moving, have to keep searching. Um, and so what does that look like? Does that look, because for me, I don't, 
I had an approach last year and it just didn't work, right? So like I'm I'm thinking about how this approach is gonna happen, like in the future if it happens again, how am I gonna like dial in this approach? Where so so you don't have a deer, you're like, okay, I'm going into scramble mode. It, does your scramble mode consist more of shifting trail cameras around trying to locate a deer, or are you just taking the stick bow, going in the woods and just like scouting your way in and finding sign? Like from back to this efficiency thing with the family life and everything else, like you have limited days, right? You might have a day a week in October, let's say it's a really good week, you get two days. Mm -hmm. Are you going to dedicate those two days to going and shifting cameras? Or are you going to dedicate those to kind of taking blind shots on an area that might have a deer? You know what I might do is um, go to areas I'm not fine. Like I would, I would think bootstagram and I would maybe have some cameras in a backpack as I'm going bootstagram. But my thought is I want to find areas where there are no dead deer. I want to find areas where I'm bumping deer. Let me just find deer. Like I'm, I'm not even in buck mode at this point. Um, that was that was my one of my biggest tipping points last year. Is I went to pull cameras in in uh, I don't remember it was August or September, and I was like, dude, normally I get blown out all the time walking this creek. I didn't get blown out, and I'm like, Jake's already been telling me about this going on. Like you got to pull the plug. Like or that started the thought process, and then two weeks later I did pull the plug. But I, there was just something that stuck out to me. I didn't get blown at. And so that would be my, my first thought would not be scramble for a buck mode. It would be scramble to find living populations of deer. And then at that point, you know, it, you may have to adjust standards if you want to shoot a, a nice buck or you, you, I would take my buck hunting maybe out of state. You know, I, I might stick around here and try and stick a doe if I want some meat in the freezer or whatever. But it, yeah, I, I, th- those are kind of my two plays, I think, at that point, if we had EHD breakout again. I like them, and they're both really good plays. And I think that finding deer is a big thing. And that took me a while last year to actually figure out in my head where at first I was still like straight buck mode. And I'm going into spots that I'm like, okay, this is an area that I, that in the past or on a map looks like it would just house a very mature buck. Like it's got everything they need. I'd go in there and there's just no deer. Like most of the deer are dead. So it took me about halfway through season. And I remember just one day I was just like, I'm changing my plan. I'm finding deer because I'm, I think I'm, I, we had phone calls all last, all last fall, right? Throughout season. And like, I'm sure that I talked to you about it a couple of times where I'm putting all these miles in and walking around in all year, I believe I bumped like three deer and I never once got blown at. I got actually, I got blown at one time in the stand all year and I saw seven bucks in 70 days in the woods. So like, so putting all these miles in, it was just like, there's just no deer. So, so that's why I bring up that question though. Is like, it's a tough question to answer, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Like you really don't want that to happen again. You don't know, but just knowing what happened this year, I know that all of us are just like, okay, let's, let's figure out a way to not make this happen again. Because the majority of guys that I know in Ohio or that in states have experienced DHD, they really struggle that year. And then everybody, I feel like, comes out of the backside of that a better hunter because they go into this mode where they're trying to just just dial in what's going on. So so you brought up a good point, and I'd like to talk about it a little bit, and it's something that I've implemented this year, and that's the out-of-state approach, right? And, you know, I look at myself where I, I decided the same thing. I'm like, okay, Ohio is probably going to be a lower standard for the next couple of years just because there's less deer to go after. It's just, it, it is the way it is. There's no way around it. So what can I do to kind of make up for that? And A is managing expectations, which we have spoken on quite a bit. But B for me was I'm going to get out of state and I'm going to go kill good deer. Like I'm going to go have fun. And so for me, I've got Kentucky on the list. I'm going to have a, maybe Illinois on the list, maybe Indiana, maybe Wisconsin, you know, could be Michigan. I did draw my Kansas tag. So I'm going to be bouncing around quite a bit. So, as far, you know, I've went out and scouted a lot of those states, but there's a lot of states that I just haven't scouted because I don't have the time to go out there. So what does an out-of-state approach look like for you? Do you want to get out there and scout and run cameras? Or are you just going to go out during the rut and find a good area and just 
have fun. Like, what's your thought process with say that everything that we talked about comes true and you're sitting here October one, no deer to go after, you know, whatever the case may be. And you're like, I want to go out of state. Like, what do you want to have already built up Intel wise on your side to go into that? Yeah. So two things to unpack there is one, I have a couple out of state places that um, I have a, a catalog of proven caliber of buck where I have ran cameras hunted there, hunted there with a few people. Um, so that's multiple eyes. There's more, more chances for encounter. So like I can go to sp- this spot out of state and be like, yeah, there's a good chance of running into a 130 plus here. Like, so, so I have that, that is a huge, huge benefit because I think the first couple of years of hunting out of state, that is probably the biggest question mark is can this particular area hold a good one is what I'm going to call it. Um, that approach, you know, uh, cameras help multi- multiple guys. I-, I feel like multiple guys helps that too, because you can only be so many places at one time. If you multiply that out by three or four, especially if guys are, uh, your friends that are a touch higher caliber deer hunters and you trust what they're, they're looking at. You know, you, we all have the one friend that says he saw a 140 and it's a 110 inch buck. Um, but yeah, if you, that, that has helped my out of state learning curve very quickly. And I did have to bounce around. Um, the, the first place I was hunting in a state, no, no, not in Ohio. I'll be a little discreet here. Um, we hunted it pretty hard for a handful of days and yeah, pulled the plug mid season. We went back. I did that year cause I had tagged out and went back in the rut to a totally different piece. And I was hunting from the ground to, to more be scouting and hunting and bumped into a couple 110 to 135 inch deer and, and texted, relayed this to the, the, the crew, if you will. And then re- fast forward a couple of seasons, we went back to that same spot again, four or five guys able to see a couple more better bucks. We ran some cams that year and uh, this has proven itself to be worth my time out of state wise. Um, but that again, I've heard you talk about this. That took multiple years. You know, I'm not big on e-scouting either as far as out of state. Like I'll look at a map for for 10, 15 minutes and that'll kind of tell me what I need to know. I do. I mean, all the stuff you hear on the podcast, you drive around first, you mark the parking because that's such a a question mark before you even get there. Like, yeah, you can see parking lots, but can you see pull offs as far as roads and stuff like that? Um, So what's going through your head picking a spot? Like if you're picking these spots out of state, (laughs) what kind of things are you focusing on? Because I can, like, I can tell you, everybody already knows the answer before I say it. Right. But like, I'm looking for a hub system in the hills somewhere. 98% of my out of state spots. And like, I'm hyper-focusing out of state on hill country because it's what I feel the most comfortable in. So like, that's my bread and butter. Mm -hmm. What's, what's Byron Horton's bread and butter out of state? (sighs) I first, I'm just trying to get away from uh, people population density. Ohio has three major cities, so that kind of sucks. Um, our rural population density is two to three times what surrounding states look like, and in some cases, like Wisconsin, Iowa, dude, they have like literally like a third of the people per square mile that we have in our rural counties. So, so I look a little bit big picture like that. Um, I trust, uh, maybe my, my personal network, if I can find somebody that is hunted there in the past, that's, that's pretty valuable. Um, I do, I do look for, it depends because I, I'm not opposed to hunting stuff that's totally different than the home. Like that is a, that would make me a better hunter, right? If I hunted some more plains-ish style stuff, uh, it would make me a better hunter. Maybe I'd spend a little more time in farm country. I know, I mean, Eberhardt's a big believer. If you got out state, why wouldn't you just hunt ground that literally eliminates half itself and in, you know, a, a thousand acres of farm country boils down to 600 acres of wood sometimes. Um, 
So it does depend what you want out of it. I have looked for accessibility in the past where can I get here in five hours versus eight? Because then I can generally go twice or I can wake up at midnight and go. That's that that that's something I look for, honestly, is is drive time is can I get to something that hits a couple of these parameters we just discussed? And oh, this one's four hours away. This one's five hours away, not six, eight from home, because then I can potentially hunt it more. And you may not hunt it at all that season, but in a 10 year period, can you hunt it a little more because it is five hours? I'm, I like that. That's a, that's a huge thing. And so I'm looking at the same thing where I have a radius around my house and we have some great states around us, but like, I'm looking at that. I don't know why people come to Ohio. Uh, there's a lot of, there's I'm a lot just of, saying. no, yeah, there's a lot of really good public out there nearby, but like, I look at it the same way where if I'm sub Let's say even four hours. If I'm sub four hours for me, that's like an in-state hunt, man. Mm -hmm. I can get there and I could leave at 3 a.m., be there by 7, spend a day putting cameras out, leave at 4, and be home by dinner time with the family. And I just have a full day of intel from an out-of-state hunt. Like, yeah, I had to drive my butt off. Don't get me wrong, but I just spent one day and I have intel for a different state to go kill another deer. Like, And if now you do that a couple times. You go to one state twice and the other state twice and it starts adding up quick where if i look at like i want i want to go out and hunt illinois but being in central ohio to go hunt illinois in the good areas where i would want to be it's like a eight hour drive well you know what there's i'm driving by a lot of really good deer to go hunt illinois eight hours away and the only that's that's give and take though because the only time i'll say that i think it's probably more efficient or, or better would be like the Iowa's or the Kansas. Like if it's a draw state, I'm putting in for those. And when I get them, that is a priority for sure. But the year to year, like on a, on an annual basis of what I can cover every year, those drive times are huge to me. And I'm looking at the properties I look at all like the closer ones are more appealing to me for that reason. I might even be less picky out of state where I'm like, man, if the right 120 inch buck, 115 yeah. inch buck comes by, he's getting smoked because it's an experience factor. I'm learning. I'm out of state. I have limited time. There's all these factors where I'm not going out of state very often to go try to kill a giant. Like we can, you can play that game here in your home state if you want, if you really want to play that game. Yeah. But out of state for me is about going and having fun and having experiences more than anything else. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. The, the, the standard probably drops just a touch out of state. Um, just you're not there, right? That's not your home turf. So I got, I got one more question for you and it's a fun question. And I just want to go through your goals for the year. Like we're sitting here, you know, mid June, what kind of goals are you looking at for yourself this year in the deer woods? Yeah. I mean, dude, I did not punch my tag last year. So like I'm punching a buck tag, like that's happening. Um, that, is, that is a, a big goal. Like I, I just, I admire guys that are consistent and you know, yeah, just, uh, that, that is top priority. You know, I talked a little bit about the, the stick bow venture here. Um, I don't have like, if it happens, it happens. Um, I would like to be able to tee off the season and be like, yeah, 15 yards, I can kill something. Um, right now, 10 out of 10, 10 yards, I got 13 yards. I'd, I'd probably kill seven out of 10 deer, uh, if you will. Uh, 15, my 15 yard groups are coming along and it's wild too. Um, you take two yards back from that dude, it, it everything opens up. It's, it's, it's different. Um, early season, I'd like to get a good early season type encounter with a, a cal a solid caliber of buck. Um, that's something that hasn't happened in, in a few years. Um, so, so yeah, I would like to get that, that crack, even if it doesn't go my way, if I just catch a visual or maybe I bump him, whatever. I just want to be like, yeah, dude, some of my, my, my early season, uh, goals is, is starting to, to come along. Um, anything else real major? I, I, I focus at the task at hand. And if I were to kill, then I would go out of state and maybe some new goals would arrive. 
I'd like to put out another good film um, if if things go 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 that way, if you will. Uh, I, I enjoy that process, building a good story. Storytelling is something as a videographer, I think, is a weak point of mine. I think I, I do some cool edits well, but I don't think I have a, a, the Curtis Sable uh, storytelling ability. I think that's a, a different skill set as well. I think you're I think you're up there. I'm going to butt in there and say that I when a whitetail experience video comes out, I get fired up. I turn the big screen on upstairs, the 70 inch and get the family to sit down and we watch it. So I really enjoy that from you, man. Um, so, so let's get into filming real quick. This is kind of a, a rabbit hole, but I know that you're thinking about changing up your filming setup a little bit and you have a different thought process than you've had in the past, right? This year, if I go Comanche October, like I've thought about taking my camera arm, making it one segment really small. And I have thought about taking more of a, a blog style camera. Um, I did just order some threading to, to get a POV on my bow. I think that's important. Sometimes in these ambush points, like we talked about, when you pick the trail, Dude, the camera arm might not be able to get there just due to how how you're setting up, and so having a, a camera on the bow is important to me. What's uh, what is the vlog style camera? What camera? So I have a Sony uh, ZV one. I've also thought about maybe buying a very small prime lens for the 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 other camera. Now, come the rut, I do take some stuff with some more zoom ability because, like, I want to get that. I, people who watch a self filming uh, bow hunt should know, like. That bow hunter gets 30% of the deer on film, maybe less, maybe 25% of the deer. Yeah, for me, it's way less. Yeah, (laughs) so like if you have a four-pointer out there at 50 yards, like that could be the only deer you capture on video. And so sometimes I do bounce uh, different cameras into the woods with me, depending on what I think my film needs at the time. Um, But yeah, I have toyed with the idea of going very, very light and minimalist, that Comanche mode for October, where I just want to be scouting, scouting, scouting. And generally, my seasons do really well when I find the ambush point October 15th-ish, where I'm like, something, sign, uh, kicking up deer. Something ends up giving me a clue to, and I may not kill a deer there until November 15th-ish, but generally my best seasons are scouting a lot before October 20th, because when that cold front hits late October, I want to know where my highest odds are. Um, and so, yeah, taking a smaller filming setup might be really nice. I like that, man. It makes a lot of sense to me. I know that last year, 70 days in the woods, I weighed my pack at the end of the year with all my heavy clothes and everything on it. And it was 47 pounds. And I was going up and over ridges trying to find deer. And like, that's just, there's like, we talk about efficiency, right? What is efficient about a 47 pound deer hunting pack? Like it just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And what, and that goes back into, to kind of the first goal, shoot a buck like that. It punch a tag, a buck tag. And so taking smaller uh, equipment could result in quieter setups, quicker setups, uh, still focused more on scouting than, than actually, um, hunting just cause there's less weight, there's less bulk. And I might capture some extra stuff because I don't have the mega heavy, uh, bulky camera that's in the pack most of the hunt. Maybe I get a few extra shots on, on camera that would produce a better film, um, because it's more accessible. So yeah. Yeah. I liked it a lot, man. Well, Hey man, I think it's been a great show. There's a lot to unpack in this episode. So, uh, thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for driving out here. I really appreciate it. We're going to have to have you on again soon with a with a camera update or a season update. I love talking deer with you. Hopefully, hopefully it's a season update and we got a buck down or something. Two bucks down. That, let's get let's get two bucks down. We'll get some good drag out footage and everything else. Hey Byron, where can uh where can everybody find out more about you? Yeah, I would I would direct those people to the Whitetail experience. Uh anywhere you follow social media platforms. I'd say YouTube might be our, our best avenue. There's just I've devoted more time and energy into that. Um, don't get me wrong. I'm on the daily Instagram stuff as well. But yeah, YouTube. 
Yeah, sounds good. And you also do have a podcast. And I think we've done like, what, three or four together over there, something like that. Yeah, I still wish we would have recorded the very first live we ever did because I learned the most because I was able to ask personal questions from you. Yeah, so I I go back and forth on that one because if I remember right, it was one of my first podcasts and I I was giving out, I guess it would be really good for the listeners. I was giving (laughs) out some absolute, some absolute like fine-tuned gems that probably were a little bit too much. So I remember you stopped me mid mid show and you're like, hey man, like take it easy on the exact locations. Oh, we've we've learned a little bit in the days. I love it, man. Well, hey Byron, thanks again for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. All right, everybody, that is a wrap for today's show. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, please head over to iTunes and leave a five-star rating and a written review. We will see you next time.